Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenceless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without you backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then they wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona in for PJ today. Uh, can you actually believe it when I was listening to the news there and we're turning off the showers at the Warren in Ross Carberry and in Shadani Beach because of a drought. I mean, like it's one of the wettest countries. We have rain for most of the year. We have a couple of dry days and then Irish Water are telling us that we have to turn off the showers at the beaches to, because there's a, a risk of drought in the area. I mean, come on lads, <laughs> seriously, something needs to be done about that. Can we not conserve the water that we have from the rain throughout the year it all just seems a little bit crazy but coming up on the show today we will be looking at um, the ECB is likely to increase its interest today which could mean the end of cheaper mortgages we'll be getting all the details on that and have you been put off holidaying in Ireland this year because of the high hotel prices we'll be talking about that in some detail and I'll be talking to Michelin star chef Takashi Miyazaki about his love for Irish seaweed when he's cooking. All that coming up and more. If you want to get in touch with us about anything we're talking about today or if you want to start a conversation on something, the number is 0818 96 96 96 or you can text on WhatsApp 0833 96 96 96 and you can also get in touch via email opinion at 96fm.ie We'd like to just as well, on behalf of the opinion line, just express condolences to all the staff at CUH on the tragic death of Mohideen Khan, uh, a nurse there who was very well respected and lots and lots of um, tributes to him on social media yesterday. He died in a tragic accident in his native India. And also Dr. Vicky Conway, who was originally from Cork. And uh, again, a huge amount of tributes to her on social media over the last 24 hours. So condolences to the family and friends of Dr. Conway too. 
Now, uh, so the first story that we have for you this morning, I mean, like we have these lovely long evenings now and it's a great opportunity to go to the park with your family and enjoy a couple of hours of fun. But do you feel safe going to our public parks here in Cork? An incident happened to Inga this week and she's been filling me in on what went on. Inga, you brought your children to the park the other day and something awful happened. Just tell me what happened. <sighs> we went, well, yesterday evening, we went to Glasheen Park, I think so it's called, by the little and Talker. And then we just went for evening walk. And then when we reached the park, in 10 minutes, my boy was surrounded. I'm calling him names because he's a redhead and he's got glasses. I don't know what's happened before. Did they have... Maybe, I don't know, show fingers each other or something. And then I, pro- I approached my boy and I, I told him, go, no, leave him alone. Mm. He was very aggressive, those kids. They didn't even, I was thinking if adults approached them, they will go away. But no, they was very aggressive. And then I took my boy to another end of the playground. And they still was picking and shouting at us and my younger girl as well. And then they, they were they bully us out of the park they were starting to walk on the benches where we were sitting the, the, at the end they started to kick my boy with his friend and then I, I just laughed at that starting to shout I wanted to protect them to make, make them go away mm. well, and we just took our bikes and started to walk out of the park and they was running after us and shouting to, 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 to wait for their mom we was on the street already and then the mom came and she was I don't know I tried to explain her what happened but there was no chance you can explain that woman what happened. She was threatening me and my husband was between me and her. She was try, trying to attack me physically. Oh my God. And then, then I was, there's many of those people usually know each other and we are afraid even to leave my kids in front to play with friends. And how are your kids today after that? <sighs> they tried to start to talk about us and forget that because they were pretty stressed. What ages are your children? Yeah, my, my boy is nine and girl is seven. Okay. That was so scary because those kids were nearly the same age, but they were so intimidating and so aggressive. Even I was feeling scared and I'm not safe. I know. I mean, it must have been so um, heartbreaking for you, first of all, to see your child um, being bullied in such a way. But then to have to leave the playground or the park with your um, two children must have been so... Like, how did you? How did you feel at that point? Oh, I, I was actually shocked of what happened because small kids have no respect for adults at all these days. You you try to say something to them, but they're just shouting at you. And I know I shouldn't, when, when they physically attack my boy mm. with, with a friend, I, I, I laugh it and I, I say, I will kill everybody who touch my kids. I, sh- I know I shouldn't say words like that, but at, at, at that stage, I didn't know what to do anymore. Yeah. And would you because, feel comfortable going to a public park now with your children after what happened? Uh, I don't know here in Tokyo, probably not, because I don't know who she is, mother, no, mm. they all know each other. Well, now we were talking with husband, we probably, if we go somewhere for a walk in the evening, we need to drive somewhere to some other park. Mm. But we live here for 10 years, 11, and never happened something like that before. Yeah. We always go to this park and it's kind of very sad situation. We was even thinking we need to move out of this area too, because if those kids will grow up, my kids will never be safe. 
And had you, you know, we often hear about bullying and, uh, you know, and, and, and incidents of intimidation and antisocial behaviour. But when our children are small, I suppose we try to protect them. Had you ever spoken to them before about what to do if they find themselves in that kind of a situation? Yeah, that's my fault. I never, we, I never, never have experienced like that before. Mm. My little girl was trying to be friends with them. She couldn't want to start the war. Like she was explaining me, she, she was trying to be nice to them. When I was explaining her, not everybody are nice. Yeah. Keep away from them. Well, but I now I probably, now I need to have a conversation with them. Yeah. I know. And it's so heartbreaking to think that you were just going out for a nice family evening, doing something yeah. very simple like going to the park. Mm. That was more stressful than ever. And now that, like, obviously you were really in shock um, when you were leaving the park, but now that you've had time to think about it, are you, like, is there a sense of humiliation? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Uh, there must be just a whole load of emotions going through you right now. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know how I feel about that. I, I just, I don't, just first of all, I don't feel safe around my house because we own house here in Toker. Mm. And then I don't know. I, I can't even I go to my little my local if I will meet that woman there mm-hmm. I think she, my husband was saying she made pictures of me as well because I just keep going straight with my kids I don't look back but my husband said she made pictures of me as well okay and did you talk to the guards I think so my husband called guards yeah because one woman from the park she catch up with us on the car and she said don't go home because they are following you don't go home now mm. don't show them where you live when we call guards straight away yeah, yeah. So there was other people in the park who would have seen what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. But my boys, a friend, mom. Okay. They kind of meet there a few times and they have a good relationship. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that that happened, Ingrid, and that you know your um, your lovely family day out, your family evening out, has turned into something so awful. Yeah, this is the more scary for the future. Probably. Mm. <laughs> In the next few years, even at this age, they don't care about adults and don't respect nobody. What's going to happen later? I know, and I think it's every parent's worst nightmare, isn't it? That your child will be bullied or that somebody will pick on them. And when you see something like that in action, it's just, it's really hard to to come to terms with, I think. And you don't know what to do as well. Mm -hmm. They don't care what you say and, you know, you don't want to touch them physically to push them away from your kids. I don't know these days what I can do. I know. It's a very difficult situation, I think. It's scary to think that as an adult, you know, when you um, approach them and you thought that they might that they might back off a bit because the the mom was there, but they didn't. It just goes to show that um, mom wasn't there. They call, I think, so they all had the mobile phones, and mom just lived somewhere locally. There, she came up. Yeah, they just yeah, they just take his only five euro or so. I don't even know what's happening. Mm. Okay. Inga, look, hopefully yeah. it was just a once-off and that nothing like that will ever happen again. Oh, I hope so, yeah. But uh, just for parents who come in with their kids to that park, I just want to let everybody know the park is not very safe anymore. Mm. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you for talking to me today. Okay, thank you for, for taking my call. That was Inga talking to me about an incident that happened to her and her children in Toker Park. And, you know, have you experienced anything like that in Cork? Do you feel safe going to our public parks? Let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just before the break there, I was talking to Inga, who had been at Toker Park with her two kids, and um, they were effectively bullied out of the park, and she was very shaken by that. You could hear the the shock and disbelief in her voice. Um, and just we were wanted to know from you guys today, do you feel safe when you're out and about in Cork and you're going to the public parks? 0818 96 Yesterday I was talking to motoring expert Bob Flavin about um, the, you know, the there's proposals that we need to get rid of the second family car in order to bring down emissions and one point that was raised was the fact that even though uh, we know that there's a need for more buses and people are telling us to use more public transport but sometimes the buses and the public transport are just not reliable and uh, we were contacted by Anna who was telling us about an incident involving her son who has autism and his girlfriend who has Down syndrome and they were waiting for a bus in Cork City Centre that never came and they were waiting out in the heat for three hours. So Anna, uh, your son and his girlfriend were in town on Sunday but they had some difficulties getting home, isn't that right? Yes, uh, his girlfriend had difficulties getting home because she lives in Costhaven um, up kind of Fort Camden um, direction and um, he wanted to make sure that she got the right bus back home after a day in town. They had gone to the cinema and they had gone to from Neelan's Goosies and then at 17.50 they stood at the bus stop at um, the South Mall and um, at 18.25 he texted me to say that there was no sign of the bus to Fort Camden and the 2.20 bus to Camden and uh, there, was, there was nothing showing on these um electronic, uh, you know, signs there. Mm. And um, he has autism and she has Downs and, and she, they obviously are really relying on the right. Sorry, um, I lost you there for a minute. So you were saying there, he has autism and she has Down syndrome. Yes. So they obviously have additional needs. So they, you know, they kind of, they really rely on, on the right signs on the buses and she needed to get to, she needed to get on the bus to Camden and, um, when, um, you know, this bus didn't turn up, but there was no sign for this bus to arrive. Um, he was, they were obviously getting frustrated because it was very hot on Sunday, as you know, and also um, they had nowhere to sit. And, um, you know, there was no sign of any bus. So after two hours, because he kept texting me, because I kept texting him, you know, is the bus coming soon? Is you know, is she mm. going to be? Because after she gets on the bus, we drive in and pick him up. Because where we live, there there are no buses. So, um, but he wanted to make sure that she get she was on the right bus before he could leave and before we could pick him up. So, after two hours and fifteen minutes, I tweeted to bus Aaron. Uh, I said, you know, what's happening with the two twenty bus today? Uh, going from Cork City to Camden and uh, I got an automatic reply to say um, um, we are really sorry for the inconvenience but this service has been cancelled. So I tweeted back and said are you saying that all 220 buses to to Camden are cancelled this evening? How will she get home then? Mm. So I didn't hear anything back then for two hours um, when I was you know, again, they, they they were very sorry that that happened. And um, could I, you know, fill in the complaint form? They, they were still sitting then, waiting, or sitting, they were standing in the heat, waiting for this bus to come. Um, so they waited and waited, and the, 
I asked my son whether any other buses going, any other 220 buses going um, or leaving from, from the bus stop. And he said um, there were, but they, it said Cargilline on them. So that would have been no good for her to get on the bus to Cargilline, you know, but she was going to Camden. And mm. um, he wouldn't put her on a bus to Cargilline and she wouldn't get on the bus to Cargilline because they have additional needs. So they need to, it needs to be right for them. It needs to be the right sign on the bus and needs to stay on the bus stop sign that the bus is going to Camden. So, um, And obviously it's very frustrating for people when a bus doesn't show up like that. But for somebody with additional needs, there's the added frustration because they are going to continue waiting like in this instance of your son and his girlfriend because they're not really sure what else to do. No, no. And they don't ask for help. They don't ask the the other people at the bus stop, you know, what's happening? Mm. Um, You know, is their bus? Um, I asked him to ask, but he with his autism, he never asked for help. And and she was just, you know, relying on him to <laughs> to push her on the right bus. So, um, you know, eventually we decided, this was nearly three hours, and there was still no sign of a bus to Camden. So my husband drove in, and he got, uh, and he, he, he felt so sorry for them when he arrived at the bus stop, because he just, they were tired, they were hot, they were frustrated. And uh, and he got a taxi then and prepaid the taxi to to get her back home. And um, you know I I obviously completed completed the bus there and complaint form even though it didn't work initially. So I had to do a direct message them to them. But I'd like to you know we prepaid fifty euro for her to get back home safely. And um, I just want that money back. But I also want the bus services to improve so that you know they actually. It says that the bus goes where it's meant to go, and you know that the bus actually goes to Camden. Mm. So, um, because this this is not the first time that this has happened. Sundays are really bad, but um, we usually, you know, we wait for him to contact us to say she's on the bus now. You can pick me mm. up now. But um, and hours. I mean, you know. The buses, uh, you know, we're hearing so much about how we're trying to increase the bus usage around the city so that we lessen the amount of cars, reduce the number of cars that are on the roads. But, you know, if the bus isn't going to be providing a reliable service to people, well, why would you leave the car at home when you don't know if you're going to be able to get home if you get into town? Exactly, exactly. That's that, You know, that was my point. And I obviously, you know, tagged Eamon, Eamon Ryan in one of my angry tweets to say, you know, how, how do you think public service is working here? Yeah. Because uh, it's it's just it just doesn't work. I mean, when Brian rang the uh, my husband rang the um, the bus depot, they they kind of they apologise and say that they you know a lot of drivers were you know missing or I don't know where they were. But uh, um, I mean that's not good enough. It's no. Not, at least you can signpost it to say you know sorry. No buses to Camden, you know. At least we would have known that then. That's it. And I mean, like, they do have those signs, um, you know, for the buses and what time they arrive at. But if they had that communication up for people to say that the bus has been cancelled, you know, at least people would know then. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, maybe other arrangements could be done then. And, you know, uh, Mm. but yeah, it's, it's, I just thought it was appalling, shocking. And, you know, for people who don't have additional needs, this Mm. is. You know, I would be raging if I was waiting three hours for a bus that never came. And especially they, in the heat, as you said, like Sunday was, you know, God, what was it? Hottest, yeah, one yeah. of the hottest days in the year and, uh, and nowhere to sit, obviously. But the, the bus stops in Cork City Centre don't have 
there's nowhere to sit. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, I'm not sure if they sit on the footpath for a while, but I just thought, and I, I just felt that the ignorance then of the bus there and just to, to, write, to kind of reply back to me, sorry for the inconvenience, this, um, this operation has been cancelled. You know, no, this service has been cancelled due to operational reasons. You know, operational reasons. But obviously, they didn't even know Mm. what service I was talking about. So, um, yeah, sure, operational reasons could be anything, <laughs> says you. Exactly, exactly. And, and kind of, you know, it left me wondering, okay, so the service, you know, does that mean that there are no more buses at all yeah. this evening? So, um, I don't know. Madness, madness. It was crazy, yeah. Well, listen, thank you for um, outlining what happened to us. I'm sure there are many, many people who have experienced similar situations, but I suppose like the the point that you were highlighting more than anything was the fact that there was two people with additional needs left waiting at a bus stop like that in the heat for three hours with no explanation and no word as to, you know, what that, you know, to let them know that the bus had been cancelled. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's my point. Anna, thank you so much for chatting to me today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That's the thing. I mean, like, would you be willing to give up your car and use buses to commute every day if you were in a situation like that where you headed into town and then you couldn't get back out of town and you had to pay a fortune then for a taxi? Now, we did ask Bus Erin for a response, but unfortunately, this was complicated by the person we contacted being on leave. They say they are looking into it. And in the meantime, they said that they are very sorry to hear of this experience and they will investigate it. We fully recognise the importance of accurate information for all our customers so we will look forward to that reply and of course we'll bring that to you whenever we get it. Let us know how you feel about the the bus service in Cork. Do you think it's good? Do you rely on it to get to work and to get into town Um, or do you think that we really need to or the the bus service needs to step up and you know when they are um, delayed or when there is a bus cancelled that they have to have a way of communicating that with people. Let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 083-396-9696. Now, I was speaking there a while ago to Anna, whose son and his girlfriend were left waiting in the heat uh, for a bus that just never arrived and they were waiting for three hours. And um, Beverly has been in touch to say, Bus Aaron used to stop at Hilltown for years on Maryborough Hill. Now they won't, leaving people to walk down the dangerous Maryborough Hill. Um, thank you very much for that. If anybody else has any incident that they uh, would like to talk about. It's 0818 96 96 96. Also, I was speaking to Inga, who brought her kids to the park in Toker the other night and they were bullied out of the park by a group of young people and uh, one of their moms. Um, and I was asking the question, do you feel safe going to public parks? A caller has been in touch to say there's no legality in the parks at all now. I'd say to carry a can and spray them, but I know you say that's illegal. And caller, yes, that is illegal. And of course, we can't condone anything like that but um, they say that you know to hear that woman's voice is heartbreaking and it is heartbreaking she was very shaken by what happened and it's not an incident that you want uh, your your children to experience when you bring them out for an evening of fun to the local park 
Uh, get in touch if you want to talk to us about that or anything else. 0818969696. And this is something that you might want to talk about. It's the fact that the uh, N25 between Carrigtool and Middleton, uh, it was due a major upgrade, but the plans were shelved due to a lack of funding. And now the, um, the County Council is calling on the Transport Infrastructure Ireland to review the road with um, uh, and try and kind of improve safety measures on the road. It's one of the busiest roads in Cork and yet uh, no safety upgrade has been brought about on that road in years. And joining me now to talk about that is Fianna Fáil Councillor Sheila O'Callaghan. Good morning, Councillor O'Callaghan. Can you hear me? I can, yeah. There's a bit of a bad line there. You just dropped out there. What were you saying there? Yes, you were speaking with regard to the uh, shelving of the project uh, on the N25 between Middleton and Carrick Jewel. That's right, yes. Yes, yeah. So look, millions have been spent on the Duncattle interchange to improve traffic flow and the ease of congestion and all of that. And yes, this one very important part of the infrastructure has been left out of the equation. So it's very disappointing for everyone in the area, you know, um, and it's it's part of that road goes from being a motorway to a dual carriageway and then you have sections of it where there are agricultural entrances and domestic entrances entering and exiting from sections of that route and straight away that causes safety issues. And what kind of safety measures are you calling for? Well look we were hoping firstly we were hoping that there would be some form of a relief road that would have been the ultimate, obviously. Mm. Um, but there's a crossing at Water Rock, and I mean, the only way out of that is some form of a, an interchange or a bridge, which isn't feasible because it, it'll cost thousands to actually, well, millions, I suppose, really, if you think of it, um, to put that in place. But there'll have to be a slowing of the traffic, they'll have to just. Um, People still need to live along the area and they have no other access in and out other than off that section of the road. And Sheila, one of the roads that's particularly dangerous is the Cove Road to Bell Valley Bridge. I mean, it's such a windy road. Absolutely, yeah. Um, look, that's that's another contentious issue. The, the R624 and uh, councillors in the Cove Municipal Area have been battling with this issue for a long time. Um, now, there has been money allocated um, to do a strategic assessment report on the road um, because it's an area, because it's tidal and um, there's historical interest. Belvelli Bridge was built in 1803. And to think that all the traffic in and out of Cove is dependent on Bell Valley Bridge, you know, so if mm. there's an incident or an accident on Bell Valley Bridge, then the people of Cove, the residents of Cove, of which there are nearly 15,000 people, are consigned there other than, look, maybe the ferry or the rail line. So it's um, the 49,000 that was allocated will um, go towards doing up a report, and the results of that will be in hopefully autumn of this year okay. uh, to just hope that there'd be an upgrade for the road. But that Belvelli Bridge would remain intact. It's, it's a beautiful historical uh, feature and that that would remain intact, but that a new link would be built um, into Cove to service the, the town and the Great Island. 
And the um, there's a huge um, the interest in environmental issues along that stretch of road. So this assessment is going to have to consider all of that as well, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, it's a very environmentally sensitive area. And as well with Fota State, you have a lot of heritage Mm. walls and historical buildings. So, I mean, it's an area that needs to be uh, handled with care, really. So there's a footpath from Slashy Bridge, which is close to, we'll say, the Brambley Lodge. There's a footpath from there um, along the wall of Fota Estate. But after that, then the road narrows considerably. And once you go over Bell Valley Bridge towards Carrigaloo, I mean, there's there's no space for anything there. If you meet a cyclist on that stretch of road and you try to give them one and a half metres mm. to overtake them, then you're out in the middle of the road, you know, so tis, there are serious issues and safety concerns. Residents in Bell Valley, you know, in Carrigaloo can't really walk freely on the roadside, you know, and there isn't any space for footpath. And and I suppose, um, Sheila, as well, an increase in trucks in that area has just exacerbated the problem. Hugely. And look, Cove is a tourist town and it it does fantastically well uh, with cruise liners pulling in there and then buses take those people to different uh, tourist attractions within Cork County and beyond. So that bridge is trying to deal with all of that going on, but yet the town of Cove has to survive, and the only way it can survive is with an upgrade uh, to get traffic freely in and out of the town. Okay. Councillor Sheila O'Callaghan, thank you very much for bringing us up to date on that. And I suppose it's one of these issues that we're going to be following and keeping an eye on to see what happens because it is a particularly busy road. And as you outlined, that stretch in particular, the Cove to Belle Valley Bridge, is particularly dangerous. So um, I'm sure a lot of people will be waiting in anticipation for that plan. Over the last two weeks, we have been talking to parents who were hoping to send their children to to the Stepping Stones preschool in Farinree, only to be told um, in the last week or so that the school was not going to be reopening in September and causing a huge amount of concern and anxiety for a lot of parents in that area. And indeed, there was a protest outside the facility on Monday. And um, we did speak to Sarah on Monday about that. Now, we have been approached with a significant development on the story and we are working on it and we hope to update you later today or even tomorrow but the minute we get some information on that development we will bring it to you here on the opinion line on 96 FM Now have you been put off holidaying in Ireland this year because of the high prices of hotels. I know a couple of weeks ago we were talking on the show about the um, extortionate prices that some hotels have been charging both here in Cork and around the country and people who were maybe hoping to stay in Ireland and, and holiday abroad were either not able to get a hotel because of the high costs or were put off because of the high costs. Um, and joining me now is the new chair of the Cork Irish Hotels Federation Joe Kennedy who's also from the Maldron Hotel here in Cork, General Manager of the Maldron. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How, How are, are you, you this morning? Joe, why are we seeing such huge high prices um, of hotels in the summer? Okay, well, I suppose, Fiona, first of all, and with, um, uh, it's nice to be on the show this morning. Um, and uh, I suppose it's great that our industry has got um, um, uh, uh, its legs again after lockdown over a couple of years. Really, it's been it's been a, a, a really horrendous couple of years for us. Mm. Um, 
prices, I suppose, prices across the all all areas of uh, industries are, are going up. Uh, no different than in, in our hotels. Um, there is hotel prices have, have definitely risen this year. There's no doubt about it. Um, and the Federation would even accept that. And over the last uh, number of months, even from the Rockets Joint Committee um, meeting in June, there there is a recognition that hotel prices have gone up. And I suppose have gone up between 15 and 20% currently. But I suppose my, our aim, uh, hopefully, is that uh, demand will soften. Demand has been extremely, extremely high, um, which is positive on the wider economy, really, in bringing tourists back into our country and uh, people travelling back around. But will these high prices put the tourists off coming back next year? Well, certainly the, the, with prices as they are, they, they, they will moderate, you know, like, you know, so that's going, that's going to happen. Like, supply and demand will always will, will always be, be flexible. And even in Cork City, which is our main, um, the main area that I represent, is um, f- prices are very flexible over the over the years. I've been I've been a general manager after recession, and prices again, you know, will they'll, they'll moderate, and it, it depends on the main demand then and so on and so forth. But definitely, there is a, a moderation coming. Um, the demand was was a number of factors, I suppose. Um, people had built up um, travel plans cancelled over the years. Um, they put that out, um, and we honoured the prices, which is which is which is good. A lot of our um, um, uh, uh, members have honoured prices back from 2020, that, that when tourists couldn't make the, the, their travel plans, mm. and and even concert scores. We were very uh, grateful for all the concerts that were backdated and put into the city in June, um, and even Westlife coming up, which is great. The hotels are are full around the city, but a lot of that hotel prices are honoured. Uh, due to the cancellations of the concerts, so. But then we I heard of you know when you mentioned there about concerts and events that were happening yeah. in places like Cork and in Dublin, and for those nights of the concerts that the hotels were putting their prices up um, even more than what they were beforehand. So we were hearing of prices for hotel. Or, I know it wasn't in Cork, but there was one person who said in Dublin um, they wanted to go and see Bruce Springsteen, and it was actually mm. going to be cheaper for them to fly to Italy and stay in Italy for the night and go and see the concert there than it was to go and see the concert in Dublin. Yeah, well, again. Look, I, again, we don't. I wouldn't. Um, I, it's up for people. Those prices, are, they're, they're 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 not on. And uh, as a federation, we don't support um, those high prices for 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 people either. We don't. We don't. As a federation, our primary focus is not on pricing. Mm. So we have no. I have no say on individual pricing. So all all I can do as a, as a, a um, as a, a representation of the the Irish Hotel Federation is just to bring the the, the pricing concerns to people's attention, and we've done that mm. um, to all of our members, actually nationally as well. But the, Dublin is a different story altogether. I think Cork is has a lot better value for people. Um, uh, concerts that that will be happening in Cork will be, you know, there there is value around there, and even looking out into. Uh, August, um, September, October this morning there around the city and county there, there, there is better value compared to I suppose what we experienced in June and July okay. um, so, so that would be my message So people are planning on maybe going um, for a weekend getaway they might be better off waiting until September so well, not necessarily. I think the 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 the, the media messaging around pricing is 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 a bit complex at the minute. But I, I would definitely urge people um, to to shop around. Um, like I just looked at ten ten prices in the city uh, this morning, and sorry, ten hotels around the city area, and every hotel is a different price. So yeah. um, it's it's just it's it's imperative that like everyone does at the moment with their shopping lists. Um, 
you know, with their with their coffee shops, all of the, the, the things that people see prices going up and um, people are shopping around and I would advise people to do that. Um, there is great... Um, um, I, I even hear back on the media um, hotels advertising again for for um, for the, the September onwards. But there is last minute availability around the hotels in Cork and County for for August with 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 value. And I suppose value is hard hard thing to uh, um, to, to to say at the minute because our prices, sorry, our costs of doing business has has gone skyrocketed. Mm. When we talk about prices of hotels uh, in particular, but like our prices have gone um, through the roof, and that's no different than other any any other industry. So what are you talking experience. about there? Like um, electricity I, costs oh, and food absolutely. and. Yeah. I'll give you a quick, uh, quick. I just give you a quick example, and this is not saying the matter for any any cause at all. But this is reality of uh, cost of living and cost of running a business at the moment. Um, just to, for my own business involved in Sandy, I can only speak um, um, individually on that basis. But compared to 2019, our utilities, our energy costs and uh, electricity, gas, they're a hundred percent increase, a hundred percent. So we'll end up paying a hundred percent extra in 2022 than we did in 2019 uh, our overheads are gone up 50% um and our payroll will 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 end up at 20% more as well so that's outside of uh, linen costs which are 30% of an increase food and beverage costs which are 18% up and insurance which is uh, also gone through the roof at 20% so i think a lot of our conversation around our industry is is complex at the minute and mm. certainly when prices are 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 we, we, we want to give value to our customers and we appreciate the, 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 the custom that our staycation market has given us over the last couple of years. But definitely we are experiencing no different than any other industry at the minute when it comes to prices, um, particularly in running a business. Okay. And what about, um, you know, the staff? We've heard about places struggling to get staff. Is that still an issue for hotels? Um, hotels are definitely. Um, I represent sixty-five hotels and guest houses, in particularly. So it's, it's uh, the wider hospitality industry is represented by other associations. But from from a hotel side, we're definitely uh, we're, we're in a much better position now um, in than we were a couple of months ago because demand came back faster than we expected. So we're putting our best foot forward. Our people are our key to our industry. Um, we definitely have a great. Um, industry. I, said, I myself personally, I've been in this industry for 33 years mm. and still love it. Um, it's given me a great, a great career. It's given me good, um, uh, 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 great experience over the years, and uh, we're, we're definitely you know, in a great position to put our employer brands forward to make the industry a better place for people to work in. Um, and that will take time because, yeah. again, uh, our, our teams were eroded over the two years period. Uh, when we were stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. So yeah. we are definitely putting, trying to put our best foot forward. And, right, um, no. and it's a difficult time, Joe. Listen, thank time, you. Yeah, um, I just I have a line, uh, call coming in there now. So thanks very much for that, Joe. Okay. Great, lots of information there. And thank you very much for explaining that. Gillian, you went on a family holiday there. Good morning. We did. Um, we went to Offaly last week, Monday to Friday. Um, in Banagher, um, in County Offaly. Banagher, in County yeah. Offaly, yeah. And um, it was around five hundred euro mark for the for the house. And was and, that for um, the, from Monday to Friday for the whole Monday house? Monday to five hundred quid. Yeah, three bedroom house, um, in a beautiful village, and um, actually the man that owns it is actually living in Glenmire, and we couldn't say enough nice things about him. Yeah. Um, arrived at the house a bit early, 
and he was there just actually dropping bread, yeah. milk, butter, cereal for the kids, lemonade for the kids, and a box of chocolates on the table for us. Oh, lovely. And we ended up actually chatting for over an hour inside the house, and he went through everything, gave us loads of ideas of where to go, some we knew about. And then um, we, like on the way up, we stopped at the Rock of Cashel and went to Cashel Folk Village, and which were amazing. Like, and we actually did loads up there. Um, I mean, there was Lock Border Park, um, there was Castle, it's your man, actually, your man that we were renting off. Um, he was bringing up people trying to arrange for us to go visit places and everything. Um, and they were, a lot of them were kind of um, free, yeah. or they were like, um, just give a donation. Yeah. Um, we went to a pet farm in County Tipperary, Tearaway's Farm, amazing place. And yeah. um, Left Castle, Con McNoise, and Neelick Walkway, it's in Galway. It's um, a 300 metre walkway over water. Um, it's just like everything we went to know was as much as you could spend as much as you want. Or, mm. you know, a lot of it was, was um, free, like as I said, um, in Banner itself, there was a lovely walkway down by the water to see all the boats. Um, there was a fairy garden. There was a lovely playground. Like, we did have an amazing time last week. Brilliant, Gillian. It's great to hear that. And thank you so much. It's lovely to have a positive call on this story and to show that there is value to be got here in Ireland. If anybody else has other nice positive stories of holidays they've had in Ireland, let us know. 0818 96 96 96. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Now Casey and Ross did bring you some of those nominations for the Best of Cork Awards and I'll be bringing you more in a little while so if your business has been nominated you want to hear uh, how people can support you and vote for you then stay tuned and you heard there from uh, Mairead that the European Central Bank is meeting today and it's expected to increase its interest rates and this will mean no more cheaper mortgages for people but joining me now to talk about what it really means, what the whole lot of it means, is personal finance editor at the Irish Independent, Charlie Weston. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Fiona. Uh, Charlie, the ECB is meeting today and we're hearing that the interest rates are expected to rise. How much are they going to rise by and why is this move being taken today? Yeah, it seems like bad timing, doesn't it, with so many uh, other expenses out there I know. have gone up. Uh, <laughs> you know, your petrol, your diesel, your home heating, your electricity uh, and your food are all up hugely. But uh, so their meeting today has been well signalled that there would be an increase. The question now is how much of an increase? Up, up to a few days ago, we ex- fully expected there'd be a quarter percent increase. That was what the Central, European Central Bank was saying. Christine Lagarde, the president, was saying, look, there'd be a quarter percent increase. Uh, but recent indications are that they may even go for a higher increase today, a half a percent increase. So, you know, and that will be fairly severe mm. because it's likely to be followed by another increase in September. And then we'll have at least three increases next year as well. The, 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 I suppose the thing about it is anybody who bought recently and an awful lot of people with, with big mortgages have, have opted for fix. Yeah. So at least that they're, they're fixed. They're locked into a rate that can't be touched until they come out at the fixed rate. The problem is, 
we have about 200,000 to 250,000 people on trackers. They are now, they've been great up to now. We've had 11 years of no increases. Those people have made hay. They haven't had to worry about it. They're, they've known exactly what they pay. It's been the same every month now for 11 years. And then you have another 200,000 people on variable rates. We've no idea where they're going to go. And their variable rates are expensive already anyway. Mm. So anybody who's on a variable rate really need to be asking your lender what fixed options you have. Even consider switching to another lender. You know, some of the non-bank lenders have quite good, very good value still fixed rates. Um, You know, you could switch to them. But, you know, for the tracker rates, some of those people on margins, which are are maybe one and a half, two percent over the European Central Bank rate, they are going to get very expensive. You know, if you're on a high margin tracker, go and find a good mortgage broker and discuss your options. Because, you know, if we have two or three uh, interest rate rises next year, it could could become very expensive for those people. So you're, you're talking, sorry, Fiona, you're just talking about. Um, somebody on a tracker rate, say they have a €250,000 mortgage yeah. over 20, 25 years. If we see a quarter percent increase today, 0.25%, that's an extra €30 Euros a month. Over a full year, that's about €360 Euros extra in repayments. If the European Central Bank goes for a half percent increase today, you're talking about, you know, doubling that, uh, that's 60 euros extra a month, 720 euros over a full year. So a big whack. And that's only the start of it. As I say, you know, there's, there's, there's more to come. There's a rate rise in September plus at least three rate rises coming next year. So we, we you know, we, we, relatively speaking, mortgage rates were cheap for this country, yeah. uh, not comparable to other European countries, but, that's coming to an end now, Fiona. And why all of these rises now, Charlie? Why are we seeing one now, another one then in a couple of months, another one in like next year? Like, why are they coming at us taking fast when you say it's uh, on top of all of the other increases that families are facing at the minute? Well, the problem is that, you know, the European Central Bank, its main uh, job is to try and control inflation. So it's only looking at inflation, really. It's got a bit of tunnel vision. And inflation, as we know, is about 8.6% across the European Union. Uh, It's about 9% in this country. So it sees its role as trying to control inflation. Its only tool for doing that is to increase interest rates. It's hoped that, you know, at at, at the very least, it will take, it, it will calm demand down. Uh, you know, for those who have uh, capacity to, 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 to spend and borrow. Uh, and the hope is that by making borrowing more expensive, they will ease off on demand. The problem is that, you know, the, 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 the inflation has been, uh, it's been fed by the Ukrainian war, supply chain issues, and, you know, and, and, and raising interest rates is going to have no impact on that whatsoever. So, you know, what they could do is just make uh, borrowing a lot more expensive for existing mortgage holders and banks uh, at a time when food inflation is, is, is running rife. Uh, it's nearly 7%, and you have, you know, electricity and gas going up at 40 to 50 60%, and, uh, you know, home heating oil is doubling, uh, you have record increases for petrol and diesel. So they really could just tip Europe in, into a recession if they're not very careful. So, 
you know, it's all very de- delicate at the moment. Uh, it, it, it's all very messy. So it, it's just going to be expensive. And the European Central Bank feel they have no choice here but to do this because the euro currency has been under pressure because they've failed to act up to now at a time when all the other big European Central Banks have raised rates. You so they don't see themselves... The- the dreaded word recession there, Charlie. Is that, uh, a, you know, a growing concern amongst financial uh, people now that this is what we're going to be looking at? Yeah, it's mm. a very big risk, um, you know, um, across Europe, the Irish economy, you know, on, on, on a kind of, you know, in, in the macro sense, might escape that because the multinationals continue to do very well. But it's it, it there's a very big risk. And in particularly if Putin turns off the gas into Europe, the, that that's almost certainly going to lead to um, a, a recession across Europe, um, mm. and it's going to be you know we're we're going to feel it in our pockets here. Consumers will feel, it'll feel like a recession for consumers, even if the, the the greater Irish economy survives because of the performance of multinationals. It does look like it's going to be a tough old um, winter for, for for Irish people and the Irish economy. I'm afraid. Yeah, like you have quoted there in the Indo today saying that with the higher cost from the ECB increases of servicing tracker or variable mortgages, when they're added to rises in the cost of energy, motor fuel and food, some families will be facing a hit of close to €4,000 a year in their budgets. And like our wages are not going up. It's huge, isn't it? Absolutely enormous. Look, I am, these are conservative figures. Like I'm quoting Cantor, who, who are the research, retail research people. They reckon the basket of, of groceries is going to go up by 450 a year. AA Ireland reckon that the cost of running a standard, a typical Irish car will go up by about 770 euros. You're talking about your electricity if you're with Electric Ireland going up 650, 670 euros. Uh, you know, home heating oil doubling in price and uh, and then add mortgage increases into that if you're on a variable or a tracker. So, yeah, you very soon get to a figure of 4,000 euros in, in extra costs for, 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 for a family that's exposed to these mortgage rate rises. So, you know, uh, people will, 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 you know, are, are having to take all sorts of actions to mm. cope with that. Many won't be able to cope with it. So, you know, the, the, the government will need to come up with a decent package of, uh, of, of some kind of measures to alleviate those cost hikes in, 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 in the autumn period. And when are the ECB meeting today? When are we likely to hear what the interest rate is going up by? They're meeting this morning. Uh, we'll get we'll get word by quarter past one today uh, what the decision is on rates, and then there'll be a press conference then uh, about a half an hour, forty minutes after that, okay. uh, when we get that we 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 get an idea of what their thinking is. And I'm told that Putin is looking to develop markets in the east for a permanent move away from Germany. Um, gas markets, yeah, um, you know, and and that that is going to be a major blow to Germany, and you know, it, you know, Germany depends hugely for because of its industrial might, but it depends hugely on gas. So, mm. if you know if that happens, you know, that's that's really bad news for the for for, for the European economy, unfortunately, Fiona. It is, it is. It's a scary time for so many people. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor at the Irish Independent, thank you for bringing us up to date on that and for all those details. And just with relation to the price of oil and second-hand cars that we were talking about yesterday, or second cars, I mean, sorry, not second-hand cars. Um, somebody has been in touch via WhatsApp on 0833 96 96 96 to say, have you seen Russia is now building a pipeline to sell the oil and gas to the East China and India?
and sharing it with Iran. This country is facing a long-term gas supply crisis. However, the largest gas field in EU waters lies just off the Cork coast, but untapped because of the Greens. We can't wait for 20 years until our green energy infrastructure is in place. We need energy now. It's off our coast. Situation has changed dramatically. We need to tap into this. I understand that there's 40 years supply of gas plus oil there. This is no longer about the Ukraine war, however long that lasts. This is a permanent supply shortage now. Thank you for that message. And we have had many messages from people over the last couple of weeks calling for that um, field in Cork to to open up and, um, you know, it could help in some way towards the high costs that we're paying at the minute for our fuel. The Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. With localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12-month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about damn time the Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards happen on Tuesday August 9th and now it's time to vote for your favourite. We've revealed the shortlist so you can go to 96fm.ie and have your say there. Here are just some of the shortlists of the 2022 awards. I think Casey and Ross brought you Best Breakfast Best Coffee and Best Barber this morning. So the list for Best Gym is Anytime Fitness Dennehy's Health and Fitness District Health and Leisure, EMF Lifting and Laughing and, and Laughing, sorry, and MT Fitness. Also for Best Burger, the the list is Bunsen, Son of a Bun, Decent Munch, MKT Burger at the Marina Market, and Lab 82. So if any of those are your favourite and you want to vote for them, you can vote for your favourite at 96fm.ie and you can see the full list of categories on our website, 96fm.ie as well. The Best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much more only on Cork's 96 FM. Now we know that um, a number of companies are trying out a four day working week on a pilot basis and a couple of places in Ireland are doing the same and we spoke to a solicitor here on the show a couple of months back who was saying that they had brought in a four day week in their office and it was working out great for both employers and employees but Professor of economics at UCC, Wim Node, doesn't believe that it's as good as it sounds. Good morning, Professor. Good morning, Fiona. Professor, you say that the four-day week could actually lead to a decrease in productivity and even a potential increase in prescriptions for antidepressants. Why so? Well, if we if we think about the the the, the reasons for the four-day uh, work week. It's often said that it will increase our happiness, it will increase our productivity, and it will also alleviate unemployment. But I think the empirical evidence is very scanty on that. I mean, there are often uh, lots of anecdotal evidence that individual firms uh, report uh, positive uh, impacts, mm. um, and, that, and that's perfectly fine. But if we're going to extend a four-day work week across the economy to everybody, I think there's, there's significant risk because we, we don't have all the empirical evidence, and it certainly don't show uh, yet um, all these benefits that um, are being touted from a four-day work week. You've said that we have a seven-day consumption cycle, so people always have to work. Um, there's, you know, and your your point, I think, was that if people are working on a four-day week, the family and friends are not necessarily going to have the same time off. 
Yes, exactly. I mean, this was something between between 1929 uh, and 1940. They tried this experiment in the Soviet Union, uh, which was a dismal failure because people realized that the day that they had off, they couldn't spend it with friends and family. And, and that was not a good thing. And why? So could we not work it that, um, well, I don't know, spending time on my own sounds actually great, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, like we could have a little break from people. But, um, do you know, do you not think now that, like, I know that that research was carried out um, years ago, but like, has the world not changed now? And can we not make things work a little bit better now? Um, we certainly can. And I'm not against these experiments. I think just we need to do it properly. So, for instance, one one thing that we do found as a very rigorous result regarding happiness is the so-called hedonic treadmill. This means that you have a kind of like happiness set point. And if you win the lottery, for instance, it's a, it's a famously studied example in, in economics. Uh, you are very happy for a couple of, of weeks or months, but then after you revert back to your old uh, stage of happiness. So if we have only a six months or a nine months evaluation of these programs, then yes, everybody would report, wow, we are very happy mm. um, for working less. But after a time, you will reduce uh, your happiness level. So we need to extend these experiments over a sufficient amount of time so that we can take account of this hedonic treadmill effect. So I think a lot of these countries that are uh, that have incorporated this pilot scheme are carrying it out for six months, but you don't believe that that's long enough to get a good kind of a, 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 an idea of how it will actually work out for people in the long term. Yeah, no, certainly six months is not enough. I mean, you have the hedonic treadmill effect, but you also have what is called compressed working hours. So if you if you if your company expects you to do 100 percent of your work in only 80 percent of the time, they're going to compress your time. And it's been found that you will have less lunch breaks. There will be a lot more pressure on. And paradoxically, or actually more seriously, in the case of countries like Ireland and other European countries with an older population, is that it actually discriminates against the older population. You cannot uh, find it much more hazardous and onerous to work on a very tight, time-compressed, hard schedule for four days to do 100% of the work in four days. So um, we know that you know we've got an aging population in Ireland, and if they're now going to to be in a very tight spot of time compression in four days a week. If you extend that to more than six months, then you will certainly find the adverse effects on health, the adverse effects on happiness. Um, you know, So again, I think six months is too soon, both all the hedonic treadmill effects and the work compression effects to make any sensible conclusions. I suppose there's always, you know, the way now we all have remote access to our work as well. And I suppose if we say, right, I'm going to do a four day week, there's the always there's always the chance as well that if we do find a couple of hours to ourselves at home, we might be tempted to log on to our emails or log on to social media or whatever it might be. And, you know, we're actually working when we're not even supposed to be working. So we're actually going to end up doing more, more work than the four day week. Yes, if we if we if we recovered from the intense four day week on the first day, then we will probably start uh, working after some period of time because you know humans are engaging in in keeping up with the Joneses in conspicuous consumption. We don't consume just to uh, you know uh, meet our basic needs. We we mm-hmm. consume because we are sending out signals. And if, if somebody else starts using the first day to gather extra income and increase their consumption, uh, we're going to do that as well in this in this keeping up with the Joneses rat race. So we'll end up like in, in, in other countries where people have moonlighting, where they work two or three jobs. Um, and, uh, you know, Fiona, the, where does this uh, reduction in shortening work week comes from? It comes from the Great uh, Depression in the 1930s. It's a measure to reduce the supply of labor when you have when you have unemployment now the problem is it's it's entirely inappropriate because we don't have high unemployment in ireland in fact unemployment is at an historic low we have severe labor market shortages 
Yeah. And if in a, in a time period when you face labor market shortages, you are reducing the supply of labor even further, what you will do is you'll just exacerbate those shortages. You'll probably increase prices. We already have inflation. So, you know, add a little bit of points on inflation as well. And you'll have a deterioration in services. Um, just imagine you have your extra time free and you want to go on holiday and you go to Dublin and you stand in a queue. Well, that's already happening. Do you want to worsen that? I mean, how much happiness will we be adding uh, to people's lives with further compression of, of labour market uh, conditions? So do you think finally, Professor Wim noted that, you know, the 39-hour the week, which was, I suppose, the general way that we work here um, for five days is probably the best the best option that we have for our general I, I, I think, Well, um well, not necessarily the time. It's, it's the content that goes into that week. You know, mm-hmm. Irish workers are already the most on, on of the most productive in the world, but you know, only thirty percent of GDP goes to the workers, to the labour. Seventy percent goes to the owners of capital, which are in most cases not even living in in Ireland. I think Irish workers, given their high productivity levels, need better remuneration, higher wages, more public holidays, more discretionary holidays. I think Irish public holidays are amongst the the, the lowest in, uh, in in Europe. Mm-hmm. I think twenty legislative days compared to 43 in Germany or something like that. So there's a whole scope in Ireland to reward workers better, give them more full-time positions, better quality of jobs. Um, also to use this productivity gain to employ much more uh, women in the in the labor market. So I think we can get much more and also for instance more flexible retirement uh, Mm. would be needed. Um, all of these things come with much less risk and are much more easy to do. And over, and, and I think it's high time that we give more attention to these labour market reforms in Ireland, um, rather than perhaps going into something that's risky and that's probably not um, empirically um, and in terms of evidence shown to be um, as beneficial as people sometimes doubt it to be. Brilliant. Professor Wim Node, Professor of Economics at UCC, thank you very much for that. Um, and if anybody is doing a four-day week and it is working out really well, you might let us know. 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. And can I remind you as well that the Cork's 96 FM's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, is back. We're streaming the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie and some of your comments on some of the um, issues that we were speaking about earlier um, with regards to Inga and her situation where she was at um, the park in Toker with her children and they were bullied out of it by a group of young people who were there um, and we were asking the question, do you feel safe in public parks? Some Ray has been in touch to say, unfortunately certain youngsters can do what they want without any consequences. We need some form of boot camps as in many cases the parents are just as bad. A society as only as good as it is safe. Thank you very much for that Ray, does anybody else agree with Ray? Do we need something like boot camps to put manners on our young people, on our kids? Um, with regards to the buses, um, Anna was telling me earlier of a situation where her son and his girlfriend both have special needs. They had come into town. They were trying to get the bus home and the bus to Camden Fort was cancelled with no um, communication with the people who were waiting at the bus stop and they were waiting in the heat for three hours. Kev says can it's, it can't be beyond the realms to create an app that links real-time bus locations via GPS to a mobile app. I mean, if every 
every plane can do it via flight tracker it's not that difficult and that is very true Kev I mean that was a question that I was putting to Anna as well and um, also uh, Cove Connect run buses all day every day to Cork and Cove it's a fantastic service always have a second bus on standby locally in case first bus um, is full we can't praise them enough keep your comments coming in 0818 96 96 96 if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. Now, we probably don't pass a huge amount of remarks on the seaweed that we see on our beaches, but it's a remarkable ingredient in the cooking of none other than Michelin star chef Takishi Miyazaki. Good morning, Takishi. Good morning. Uh, Takeshi, Japan has a great culture of using seaweed, but it's in a different way to Ireland. So coming from Japan, do you find Irish seaweed is good? It's very good, actually. Yeah. What's I, good about it? Some some of them that I haven't seen in Japan, like uh, especially the channel rack. Um, in Japan, like we always use in dried one. But um, here um, in Ireland, I can... I can see a uh, uh, fresh channel rack, mm. and I never cook the fresh channel rack in Japan. Like so, so when I you tried came, a fresh one. Yeah, so you tried the fresh one when you came here, and you were just amazed by it, were you? Yeah, it's great flavor, actually. And sugar kelp—it's used in Japan. Is that different to the kelp that we use here? Um, same kind of, but uh, the quality is different. So. Uh, when I use the, it's called kombu in Japanese. Um, the sugar kelp. Uh, I for my restaurant I use um, Japanese one. Mm. 
Mm. I tried um, Irish one, but a little bit more um, flavor. So, but I could use some, you know, if you use a stewed dish or something, and it's it's amazing too. I suppose like Ireland has become a meat and two veg, veg culture compared to a century or two ago when there was more seaweed eaten here. But I'm hoping that you can help us discover seaweed, Takashi. Why does Japan like seafood and seaweed so much compared to here? Mm, um, Japan is Ireland and Ireland is Ireland. But um, the water temperature is different. And also uh, around the... Japan, the country, um, there's few different strong tide, and hmm. um, Pacific Ocean and then Japan Sea, and they're both sides is quite different, and then different tides just crashed up, and then that's why we got so many different uh, type of seaweed, seaweed and also seafood. So that's uh, I think different okay. differences. And I suppose yeah. the Japanese seaweed dishes that most people have experienced here are dashi and sushi. And dashi is made with kelp, isn't it? Yeah, dashi is uh, uh, made from kelp. And also uh, you can add the bonito flake, which is a type of tuna flake. Okay. And uh, so mm-hmm. so is that the two main ingredients then that are in dashi? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, yeah, sugar kelp and the bonito flake is the, the basic and then what uh, like would you add in extras then to make like what would make a good dashi for you um it depends what way you use um the clear broth or kind of strong stew dish and um, sometimes i could put dried mushroom such as shiitake mushroom mm. so those three different type of acid is the uh, to make a balance, that's a, a umami thing. So okay, and it is mm-hmm. a very versatile. You know, it is very versatile, isn't it? It's not just like soup, as you said there. Like you can use it in stews, you can use it in other things as well. Yeah, you can make the clear broth, and you can make a miso soup. Even you can make the the kind of dark, strong dish as well. Mm. Yeah. And I suppose like the Irish palate, we're so used to, as we said, like, you know, the meat and the veg, but dashi has a very different effect on the palate. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, the basically Japanese cuisine is very um, delicate. So we are kind of respect ingredients itself. Mm. So in Japanese cuisine, we don't give, we don't give much um technique or cooking if the if you get in nice fresh vegetables i don't put too much because we respect that itself the flavor yeah you just let the and flavor then, of the, the vegetable speak for itself yeah that's right yeah and then dashi make a more back up of, of the flavor mm. because dashi's basic is uh, the kombu uh, sugar kelp is a uh, full of glutamic acid and bonito it's an animal is an inosinic acid and if you put the most such as mushroom it's a gyalinic acid those three type of acid and back up the uh, great flavor and um takashi japanese cuisine it has a pyramid of flavors and dishes doesn't it mm. 
I don't think much the pyramid. It's because it is the basic on, of the. Is it based on different types of acid? Yeah. So basically, the three acids. So. Oh, so what way? So that what makes way does that work? umami balance. So um, the basically we use the kombu, that's the glutamic acid, mm. which is a uh, um, natural MSG. Okay. Yeah, it's not the chemical one. Okay, so that's the base. So the people then. were saying that yeah, that's the base. Yeah, and mm. then we put the, such as inosinic acid from mostly from animal, such okay. as even chicken has a inosinic acid, beef has it, pork has it, and fish has it. Okay. Yeah. And then if you put extra such as kind of mushrooms, that's the gyanic acid, that makes uh, more flavor. So you need to control those balances. Okay. Uh, so where then yeah. do the common seaweeds fit in with that? Yes. And where, so would they just be, would they be on the level where the mushrooms are? Um, as I say, like, uh, yeah, shiitake mushroom has a great fra- flavor and mm. dried one, like, yeah. And so the seaweed would be like that. Would it be at that level or are we talking about the middle level of that pyramid, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Yeah, seaweed is quite uh, important uh, for the f- flavor and also delicate. You mentioned there about Japanese cuisine and the flavors and how how important they are. And um, we were talking about this earlier. Japanese meals, they have, um, among other things, they have five flavors. They have salty, bitter, sweet, sour and umami. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. umami is the fifth one, yes. And I, I, I'm not sure if people here in Ireland would be too familiar with umami. What is it? <laughs> um, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's pretty hard. Like, but, um, so, for example, uh, when you have this great comfort food, and when you eat that food, and then you feel, ah, like, you know, it's so nice, yum. So that's a, umami makes that. Ah, okay. Okay. Some people ask me about, uh, oh, I never had umami. What is it? Like, yeah. then I say, oh, no, you had umami already. And they were like, why? What? What is that from? <laughs> uh, you know, when you're a baby, like you had the mother's milk. Okay. That is uh, full of glutamic acid. So that's umami. So when you had the umami flavor and then you know you remember when you had the mother's milk and you grown so, so, so that's umami and so umami would that be in seafood and seaweed yeah and also um you know such as uh, parmesan cheese people love cheese you know yeah mm-hmm and so, say, like we started off the conversation about seaweed. So, um, you know, if you serve seaweed in your restaurant and um, somebody says to you, oh, what's umami? Would you say to them, well, you've just had it there now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, umami is uh, more difficult how to, uh, how, to, how to get it. Like, you know, um, that's the thing. So you can't see it. You can't feel much such as bitterness and stuff like so. Yeah. Um, that kind of sweetness yeah. on, on your palate, you get a kind of sweetness, that natural sweetness. Yeah. Not from the sugar, not from syrup, you know, not from honey. 
and natural sweetness, really um, mild sweetness. That that is umami. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. And how you, you <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> I'll have to come in and try it out now, Takashi. <laughs> how is business going in the restaurant? Is it good? Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, we're all happy. So, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And it is, of course, uh, Maziki in, um, in Cork is your restaurant. And I did say Michelin star restaurant going from strength to strength. Um, Takashi, thank you very much for joining me on the opinion line this morning and for bringing us up to speed on the seaweed that we have here in Ireland. It's, it's as we said, an incredible ingredient that most of us probably don't really, uh, weren't really aware of that, you know, it's, it's used so much in Japanese cooking. So thank you for bringing us up to date on all of that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. And my apologies, I was speaking before the break there to Takashi Miziaki and I forgot to mention that the restaurant is of course called Ichigo Ichi and um, it is a Michelin-starred restaurant here in Cork and um, I like that conversation with Takashi on what we can do with our lovely seafood here in Ireland and seaweed. Um, we were also talking earlier about the price of going on holiday here in Ireland and hotel prices and Kevin has been in touch to say just put the VAT rate back up to normal. They're clearly not passing it on and they're full so it's not needed. Thank you for that. Um, we did have a call from Gillian as well who said that she got a great deal on a, a house in uh, Banagher in County Offaly um, and she had travelled up from Cork with her family. So there are deals to be got out there and that's what Joe Kennedy was saying to me uh, he's from the Maldron Hotel in Cork he was saying that if people look around there are deals to be got out there over the coming weeks so if people don't feel like they want to go abroad and they do want to take a little break in Ireland they can have a look around and there are some deals out there and if you are not a fan of negotiating, then why not? <laughs> Joining me now is coaching psychologist Aoife Donovan-Lee. Aoife, I think women in particular are not fans of negotiating. Why is that? Yeah, Fiona, hi. Um, thanks for having me on this morning. You're very um, welcome. There are, there are a couple of, uh, of key themes that come through from the research as to why women avoid negotiating. Um, and the first comes down to confidence. Um, that they don't believe that their their strengths are at the level that they should be at in terms of opening up a negotiation or having that type of conversation. Um, and then the second theme falls under perception. So uh, gender bias tells us that um, we all hold an unconscious bias towards men and towards women in terms of what's appropriate and inappropriate behaviour. And so women fear the backlash of how they'll be seen if they are to initiate a negotiation. So they might be seen as pushy mm. um, or assertive or overly aggressive. Um, and that's not deemed as appropriate behaviour for a woman. Now, we don't all go around thinking, um, I, I, I don't believe that I, I appreciate aggressive behaviour or assertive behaviour in a woman. Yeah. It's an unconscious bias that we hold. And so women are, are in some way aware of this. And research tells us that uh, team members see um, women who initiate negotiations as pushy, 
and unlikable and undesirable. <laughs> and do you think that some women, because they want to get ahead and that they um, feel that they need to be pushy um, to get ahead and that's the reason why they come across like that and they might not naturally be like that kind of a person but they feel that they have to, to get ahead. Yeah, and that's not a natural, maybe that's not naturally in them um, but they feel like they need to demonstrate that, that characteristic um, and we understand from uh, gender bias and from that unconscious bias that we all hold um, that that's an undesirable trait. And so we want to be seen as liked um, women who are um, more are taken in as part of the team or who are more accepted as part of the team um, are demonstrate more likable uh, qualities. And we're all aware of that. So that can put women off from negotiation. But we can we can negotiate, of course, without being yeah. aggressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there are three unique challenges to women um, when it comes to, to negotiating and there are ways to overcome each of these challenges. Um, the first one being that uh, we need to balance warmth with assertiveness. Um, and this is a, a unique challenge to women. Men face their own challenges. Um, but a unique challenge to women is that we need to be seen as self-advocating. Like We need to self-advocate for ourselves. We, we also need to be seen as um, demonstrating communality. So we need to be seen as advocating for the team as well. And mm. um, so a way that women can can overcome this in a negotiation and to balance that out um, is to make sure that we're demonstrating empathy to the other's needs, so to the counterpart's needs. So making sure that we're acknowledging um, that we're aware of their needs and we understand them. But also then, say, for example, if a woman is going for um, looking for a raise um, in her job, then to make sure that she is um, not just going going at the negotiation from the place of her own want, um, but but outlining how her contributions to the team justify um, this this raise. So there are a few things that we need to to look at. Um, also, in managing our um, difficult emotions during a negotiation is a really important point for women. Men. Um, they will have to worry about different types of emotions. But for women, um, in the lead up to a negotiation, we can feel anxious and fear. Um, the way to overcome that is really through the planning of it. Um, so what women can do is think about the, the negotiation from a defensive, pessimistic kind of a perspective. Like think about all the things that could go wrong in the negotiation. So think about from the counterpart's perspective, um, what might they come back at with them um, to, to sort of rebut their, their ask um, and then think about their, their evidence for, um, for arguing against that. Um, and then in terms of the negotiation itself, um, the types of emotions that women can experience are anger, frustration and fear. Um, so as a means of, of mitigating that, Think about, um, in, in relation to negotiation, what kinds of triggers um, are there for you? Like, what triggers you in terms of evoking that kind of an emotional response in you, like anger or frustration? Um, and make a note of those and think about how, is it, how can you better respond in the negotiation if you do come up against some kind of a response that will um, evoke anger or fear or hurt in you? And then just plan for that um, ahead of the negotiation. And then finally, the third point um, is managing or overcoming interpersonal resistance. So women come up against more resistance than men in negotiation. And resistance could be 
like a manager um, missing the scheduled negotiation appointment um, or maybe coming up against some other kind of resistance within the negotiation and um, like a shocked, a shocked um, reaction to the ask. And so these are all different forms of resistance that women can come up against in a negotiation. Um, so the advice for women is to think about um, how you'll react to that. So uh, think about asking why or why not more often in negotiation. When you do come up against that resistance or if it's an outright no, don't take that as the, the end of the show. Um, go take the, take the time to debrief, think about what went well in the negotiation in terms of your strengths, what might you do differently. And don't take that as an outright no. Maybe look at your ask and, and try and reshape the ask based on your counterpart's needs and go back again with a revised proposal. So there are the three different unique challenges that women face and hopefully some um, practical applications for women within that. Yeah, that's great, Aoife. Thank you very much. And do you think, um, in your experience as a coaching psychologist, Aoife, have you yeah. um, had women say to you that they haven't pushed themselves forward for a promotion because they're they don't want to negotiate, and you know they have to negotiate in order to get to the top? So it's put they, you know even if it's their dream job, they don't go for it because they just don't want to have to negotiate. Yeah, I think it's it, it, there are a couple of things in it. They might not even come out and say that specifically. I've, I fear negotiation, um, but it's it, it tends to come out in the form of I don't feel like I'm at the level that I need to be at. So there's the confidence there mm. and the confidence issues. Um, women tend to downplay their their strengths and their experience and their abilities, um, and and it comes back to as well how we should be seen um, or how we believe we should be seen as women that unconscious bias towards how women should act and behave. Um, whereas men, on the other hand, um, will inflate their experience. Mm. Um, and so they'll look at a, at a job um, spec for a, for a job, an upcoming job post, and they'll see maybe they can do 60% of it and they'll go for it. Whereas women <laughs> yeah. will say, oh, I can only do 90%. I'm not going to go for it. I can't do 100%. Yeah. Um, so that tends to stop women is the confidence in our in our abilities um, is what I've seen from my from my experience. Do you think um, it will... Ch- I know the tide is turning and we are seeing changes. Mm. But do you think as more and more women get to higher positions in companies that we will see um, that fear of negotiating or... You you know, the, just the the lack of a, an interest in negotiating that 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 will change, and that women will start to negotiate a lot more and feel more comfortable in doing so. I believe so. It, it does have to start with um, the the culture within the organisation, and um, that will only come from the the top uh, realization at the top of the organisation that things need to change. Um, so there are things that organizations can do um, to encourage women to, to negotiate, not only um, looking at hiring policies and who who they're hiring in or the people that they're hiring in um, aligned with this, this core value of the organization that women should feel comfortable to speak up and to negotiate. And not only big negotiations, but even just small negotiations throughout the day that they feel comfortable in engaging in that. So it starts with the hiring. Mm. Um, but also in um, in organizations, what they can do um, is to introduce some kind of diversity and inclusion training. If they don't already have that in place, really strong diversity and inclusion uh, kind of courses can be implemented within the organization to start to make others aware of 
the unconscious biases that they hold, not only in, in, in towards gender, um, but other biases that we all hold that we're not even aware of. So, yes, it will come in time with more women um, breaking through the glass ceiling and, and being hired at the higher ranks. But there are also things that organisations can do right now um, to support their, their employees. Brilliant. Aoife Donovan-Lee, coaching psychologist. Hopefully uh, your conversation today now will encourage more people to, or more women to go out there now and fight for what they want. <laughs> Thank you. That was, yeah, I was just saying, yeah, hopefully the conversation now will make, encourage more women to go out and fight for what they want in the workplace. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Thanks Thanks a lot for joining us on the Opinion Line today. That was Aoife Lee Donovan, or Aoife Donovan Lee, the coaching psychologist. Um, Earlier this week, I was speaking on the phone to Jackie, who raised the issue of unpaid work trials. She had um, a house guest, a 19-year-old, who had gone into a restaurant and had asked for a job and they got her they wanted her to do an unpaid trial shift to see what she was like and Jackie was saying that it was very unfair and exploitative and um, McBarry TD has been in touch with us this morning to say the national minimum wage legislation applies to work trials. The only exemptions are for close family relatives or for registered industrial apprentices. Any worker who is performing a work trial and is not being paid for doing so is being denied their legal entitlements. Any workers who find themselves in this situation who wishes to receive their full legal entitlements can contact my office and we will advise on the matter. Thank you very much for that, Mick. Um, Kate has been in touch. We were talking um, earlier about the rising cost of living. Charlie Weston was talking to me about the ECB raising the interest rates today and um, how that's going to impact on people's mortgages and that's on top of everything else with the cost of food and fuel and Kate says I'm absolutely fuming milk in my local super value has gone from 85 cent to 1 euro 5 cent that's a massive dr- jump it's like somebody had messaged us in the other day about dairy gold in their uh, local supermarket and it had gone up from 285 I think it was to 599 which is a huge jump as well also, we were speaking about cashless, um, the banks going cashless and Lisa says cashless society will hopefully stop cash in hand jobs and ensure that all people pay their fair share of tax. Thank you very much for all of your comments today. 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Jimmy has been in touch to, and he wants to know that, um, if there's any talk about the Cork Harbour Air Show this year. He says there's lots of talk about the Bray Air Show. I wonder what's happening with the Cork Harbour Air Show. There was great plans before COVID. I wonder, is it gone by the board or is it still on? I'm not sure, Jimmy, to be honest about that. Um, but if anybody out there has an answer to that, is the Cork Harbour Air Show going ahead this year? Or when it, it's When is it happening and can we find out any more information? information about that um, let us know 0818 96 96 96 or you can text or whatsapp 0833 96 96 96 and of course we have our email opinion at 96fm.ie 
ie. Now we are preparing here in Cork for the Pride celebrations and we were talking to Councillor John Marr on the show yesterday. We got our first Pride crossing in Cork um, on Wednesday night or Tuesday night actually, early Wednesday morning when people woke up and saw the the beautiful crossing, colourful crossing on Patrick Street um, and as I said we're preparing for the Pride Festival which is great, loads of events happening right across Cork and we'll bring you some of those across the next week um, and Pride has been happening, Pride Festival has been happening nationwide as well and as part of all of the celebrations the um, Children's Books Ireland has put together a Pride Reading Guide for Children for 2022 and joining me now is Deputy CEO of Children's Books Ireland, Jenny Murray. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Jenny, what was the whole idea about putting together this Pride Reading Guide? Um, For ourselves, we're Children's Books Ireland and our role is very much encouraging children and young people to read. So the the people that we speak to are age zero through to 18 year olds. So we're trying to encourage children from that age and, and their families to start reading and read throughout their lives. So in relation to this, a lot of our work is is reviewing titles and, and making sure that the gatekeepers, so by that we mean families, um, booksellers, librarians, teachers are aware of all the great titles that are out there. And so sometimes we do themed reading lists or reading guides. And we've worked on this guide for a number of years with our partners on Post. And this year we printed it up um, and we've handed it out for free. So it's available through libraries across Ireland. It was available through bookshops. It's available online on our website. And it's very much just making sure that all families are aware that these titles exist. And positive representation on the page is important for uh, and, and has been included in this guide. You've been very careful about the books that you've selected. We have indeed. So, I mean, I, I should say that this is very much a curated list and um, we work with, we have an organ or we have a group of people that we call our book doctors who or go out on our behalf around the country and they talk to children, recommend titles, but they also get feedback from young readers about what type of books they're looking for. So these are all very much selected and curated and then reviewed independently. Um, and so, yes, we've we've made sure that we have um, included as many um, forms of representation as we can. Um, and it, yeah, that's, that's basically what's on the list at the moment. What kind of books, uh, like what would be some of the main books that uh, some of the highlights are on the guide? So for us, it's uh, like you were saying, representation on the page is so very important. So these books, as I said, are zero through to 18. So there's a huge amount of representation of different types of families. And so sometimes it's books that, you know, represent to a child the family that they're growing up in. Mm. Um, And sometimes then for older readers, they might be able to see themselves represented on the page. Um, And that's really, really important. We know that children and young readers been able to see themselves or their lived experiences, you know, within a book or depicted in images is so important. It's so life affirming. Um, and it's really, you know, reading for pleasure is really informative and in helping, you know, young people build their own identity, I suppose, and recognize their own identity. Um, so we find it's really, really important to make sure that, you know, representation on the page is vital. You said that it's crucial that every member of the LGBTQIA plus community can feel seen and heard in the stories as well. So I suppose that was a really big factor in when you were selecting these stories. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's important as well to say that, you know, about five years ago, we wouldn't have had the range of books available to us. You know, this list would have been a much, much smaller list. And when we started this list about three years ago, it was a much smaller list. And and now it was almost easy for us to pull together 100 books, you know. And, mm-hmm. and like I say, this is curated. There's hundreds more out there, which is such a positive thing to see. So, yes, we have we have all mem- members of the communities represented there. And I think that's, you know, really important for us as an organisation. Do you think that that's because there is... Um, a much more under, a greater understanding um, about you know different as you say different families and whatever else from a, an early age in children. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And, you know, we know reading builds empathy and that's another really important, you know, power of this guide is, you know, that the children can either, even if it's not their own experience, they're getting to read, you know, potentially somebody else's experience and it gives them more understanding. So I think the the publishing world stepped up a lot as well, you know, because like I was saying, you know, three, four, five years ago, these books just didn't exist. You know, there was a whole you know, part of society that was just not represented on the page. And and we all know that families come in all shapes and sizes. And, and it's really, really important that everyone can see themselves there on the page. Um, so, yeah, I think just more and more books have, have been published. I think publishing had a lot of work to do. They were quite behind the times. You know, they've done a huge amount of work mm. and they've, you know, started producing these these books. Um, and in the main, they're written by members of that community, which is also very important, you know. What kind of reaction has the guide been getting? Oh, hugely positive. You know, I think like families are always looking for these books, particularly for younger readers. And then, you know, this guide has been really, really popular with teenagers, which is fantastic. You know, they're they're sort of there's so many titles out there available for for teenagers now. And we, you know, like we've partnered with Unpost for this and you'll know yourself, obviously, you've you've got Pride Parade coming down in mm. Cork now. But um, Unpost are the headline, you know, sponsors there of of. of Pride in Cork and they were the headline sponsors in Dublin and in Mullingar and we went in there was a Pride village in Marion Square and we held a book clinic and we were giving out the guides and you know oftentimes at book clinics or at events we find it's families with younger children that we're interacting with on on a day-to-day basis but it's really fantastic that this one is you know a guide that teenagers have really interacted with and that's very important as well. It's great isn't it and I suppose it's great um, you know on a separate note to see that teenagers are, are so engaged and the fact that they want to read books rather because, you know, I think we we hear often that, that, oh, you know, that reading is gone and that kids are just stuck in the smartphone and in their tablets or whatever. So it's great to see that they're actually engaged in, in this and that they are reading the books. Totally, you know, and I, I think readers are, are uh, teenagers are such an important cohort of readers. But but actually, like, I think something like this reading list really proves a point. Like they're reading these books because they can see themselves on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why something like representation and making sure that they're aware that all these books are out there and exist. You know, when they're in bookshops and they're in libraries, you know, that it's, you know, we're just trying to make sure that schools, families, that everybody possible knows about all these titles. And where can people get the guide, Jenny? So the guide is available on our website. That's childrensbooksireland.ie. It's also available on Post's website and it's in their um, Readers Wanted section. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it should be still available in libraries. So that we printed copies. So there's copies available in libraries. There was copies available um, through some on Post um, centres. And I'm sure on Post will have it down then in Cork as well for your Pride celebrations. And it's called Building on the Rainbow Reads. Is that right? It's just called the Pride Reading Guide. So a few years ago, yeah, a few years ago, we published a much smaller list and it was called Rainbow Reads and we expanded on the list and we just felt that we should actually just call it Pride Reading Guide this year. So that's what it's under. Um, You'd be able to find it as Pride Reading Guide. 
Brilliant. And a hundred books. So that's like, it's a, a it's a huge body of work and well done to everyone involved in putting it together. As you said, it, it took years to, co- to to bring together. So it must have been uh, great when you saw it actually come to come to print. Yeah, it was brilliant to see it out in print because like I say, we had pulled together and it was a list that was available, you know, for digital download. And we've obviously, like I said, it's just more and more titles are coming on stream and that's just brilliant for us to see, you know, and, and like Irish publishers are stepping up. So there's a lot of titles there by Irish artists as well, which is great to see. Um, but yeah, so it's great. It's out there. It's in the world. Yeah. Brilliant. Pride Reading Guide, that is Jenny Murray from the Children's Books Ireland. Thank you for joining me on the Opinion Line this morning, Jenny. And um, just to let you know as well that the Cork's 96FM Pride Vibes is live. It's our new online radio station playing the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that matter. Join us as we count down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. Stream it on the Cork's 96FM website or app and get more at pridevibes.ie Pride Vibes, supported by Volterol, the joy of movement Listen live now with Cork's 96FM. Now if you're in and around the city and you're looking for something to do or somewhere to go that might have a little bit of interest um, maybe you would consider popping into the Crawford Art Gallery to see their newest exhibition called Meat and Potatoes and joining me now to talk about it is curator of the exhibition Anne Bodart. Good morning Anne Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, thanks for joining me. And the name of the exhibition, Meat and Potatoes, really caught my eye when I saw it. Um, and it's, um, I suppose it's, it, it looks at the history and the contemporary um, artists who have used food as their kind of muse, I suppose, is it? That's it, yes. And um, yes, artists, um, well, obviously from still life, you know, of... Uh, of of a long long time ago to to the present, some artists use food uh, to convey different ideas, and and, and um, so we've gathered together work from contemporary artists, work from our own collection, and we've borrowed works, and together uh, they talk about food, but also other uh, subject matter through the medium of food, such as what. Um, well, for example, you have a work by uh, Monica Crowley, um, and uh, she uses her, she often uh, explores traumas or different personal experience through uh, food. And she has a series of prints called Domestic, uh, which um, came from when she became a mother, uh, her own mother sent her a brown bread recipe. And um, that kind of uh, Obviously, it's a beautiful gesture and it, it, mm. it's wonderful, but she also felt quite under pressure to, is this it? Do I have to now become a provider? Do I have to become somebody who bakes? Yeah. Uh, and she conveyed that in a series of really beautiful prints. And what I love about that series is that it can talk to people uh, who are, are, were brought up in Ireland because uh, there is things that will sound very familiar to a lot of people. But to me, who came uh, from France, I can relate to him to it on a very different way because I wouldn't have had Odlum's flower growing up. But yeah. I remembered the flowers my mom would have used, you know, and, and that's um, quite um, beautiful too. So I think yeah. obviously food is a universal uh, topic that also has a lot of personal um, 
uh, references for for people. So it's 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 that always uh, double edge or double meaning for people. I think. I hope. One of the photographs was um, for another part of the exhibition was a bull um, with (laughs) insemination straw sculptures adorned on its back. Like, what's that about? (laughs) Uh, It is a very spectacular uh, work by Maria McKinney. And it's both um, in the exhibition, you have both the photograph, as you say, of the bull and the actual uh, sculpture that Maria made using corn braiding um, techniques. So again, mixing the traditional techniques of corn braiding uh, that you would have had with people using straws, you know, for um, like, I don't know, St. Bridget's crosses, for example, or things. And yet uh, she uses insemination straws. Um, She worked in a uh, braiding center and she explores the genetics and the genomics of um, um, well, uh, breeding for 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 our meat um, mm. through that medium. So that's that's what it's about. <laughs> and and the exhibition um, was designed along with your Learn and Explore program at the Crawford Art Gallery. So it's not just photos and um, videos that people can see when they go to the Crawford Art Gallery for this exhibition. There are other things happening as well. Different Indeed, activities we have. As well. Yes, absolutely. Um, we have a really um, wide programs of uh, activities, talks, tours, um, uh, things like we have um, Regina Sexton uh, who helped uh, along with Ali O'Byrne uh, to devise this program. Uh, she's going to do a walking tour of Cork exploring the uh, meat industries and food industries in Cork. So that will be outside the gallery but linked with the exhibition. We're going to have a seed swap. We're going to have uh, the Cork Sugar Craft Club coming to do some demonstration. But then there will be some maybe more... Um, I don't know if serious is the word, but, you know, um, talks about food safety, uh, soil, and uh, it's there is um, on the 5th of August, uh, Soil and the City discussion about how uh, realistic and how can we grow food in our cities. Mm. Uh, obviously, are topics that are um, very much um, current. And we've seen the, uh, that with, um, sorry for cutting across you there, but we've seen mm. growing food in the city uh, with the Cork rooftop farm. And I think were they part mm. of this exhibition as well? Yes, they have installed uh, potatoes and uh, we're growing potatoes in the gallery again in this project space. Um, and it came from um, Cork rooftop farm, um, Brian McCarthy. And he's going to give a very small tour for select people uh, of his farm uh, on Colmacket Street, sorry, mm. in September. Okay. And Anne, is there, is there different activities that children might like as well? Like you're creating edible art as well and making biscuits. So they <laughs> might appeal to some of the younger people who are going in as well. <laughs> yes, I think, well, there is a, a, a kind of a make and do corner where people can, and there is a drawing wall. Anybody can leave their mark in the gallery upstairs. Um, there is a reading space with some children's book um, all about food uh, and art. And there are, at the moment, for example, it's an animation program so in the afternoon anybody can drop in uh, to do stop motion animation with two of our um, facilitators and uh, the the biscuits that was someone uh, actually someone who make 
really incredible biscuits, Dr. Ella Okins, but she's she's gone. The biscuits that she made inspired by the exhibition are on display. Um, but the Sugar Craft um, Club that I mentioned, they mm. are going to have demonstration and hands-on activities. So uh, that's closer to Halloween and uh, children will definitely be uh, <laughs> invited to come and, and uh, get the hand sticky. <laughs> <laughs> you said there that it'd be open um, around the time of Halloween. So this is ongoing for quite a while, isn't it? This exhibition. It opened last Friday, I believe, and it runs to the 6th of November. Is that right? That's it. Yes. So, yeah, plenty of time to come and have a look and uh, look again. And then uh, we are hoping, I mean, I have to say the entrance to the gallery is free. So um, it's it's really to encourage people to maybe uh, come as many times as they want. And um, hopefully that means as well we'll be able to accommodate um, school for school tours. Again, a topic that's quite, um, that can be taken in so many through the historical strands, cultural strands. It's it's very um, various and uh, hopefully will appeal to many people. Brilliant, I'm sure it will. And I suppose meat and potatoes, it's the staple of many an Irish dinner, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, absolutely. And a catchphrase of, of the essence of things, isn't it? So, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, best of luck with the exhibition. It sounds great and it sounds like there's something for everybody there, um, whatever your interests are, whatever your age. So that was Anne Bodart, curator of the exhibition Meat and Potatoes, um, which is happening now until the 6th of November at the Crawford Art Gallery. The Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12 month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about damn time now earlier I brought you some uh, categories and I have a couple more categories now and of course just as I was about to do this my computer freezes okay <laughs> the the full list of all the categories for this year's Best of Cork Awards is on our website 96fm.ie so you can see the full list there and you can also vote for your favourite and just um, for I'll just give you some of the categories that we have here now Best Business Instagram we have Alana.ie i.e. Photo Island Adventure, Gil Abbey Veterinary Hospital, Yum Cafe and Dwyer's of Cork. And best pizza, we have Burnt Pizza, Oak Fire Pizza, Palmento in Douglas, Milano's and Brick Oven in Bantry. So if any of those ones are your favourites, you can go onto our website and as I said, there's a full list of all the categories there and Lorraine and Brian and Simon will bring you some more later on today. Um, you can have a look at all the categories. You can vote for your favourite, 96fm.ie. Vote for your favourite now. The Best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie. Your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, Plumbers, electricians and much more only on Cork's 96FM. And of course, the awards are happening on Tuesday, August 9th. But earlier I was speaking, just before that song, to Anne about the Meat and Potatoes exhibition at the Crawford Art Gallery. And uh, we have another exhibition now, an art exhibition with a difference. This time it's um, a young artist from Ukraine who travelled over here um, back in February, earlier or whenever the war started, February, March time. She travelled over to Cork and she managed to bring some of her paintings with her and she's now been given the opportunity to exhibit the paintings at Fitzgerald's Park and she's absolutely delighted to be able to say it's her first exhibition and it's happening here in Cork. 
Tatiana, welcome to Ireland. You are an artist from Ukraine and you're holding an art exhibition in Fitzgerald's Park. So first of all, can you just tell me um, what it's like to have an exhibition here in Cork, what that must feel like at the minute? And sure, thank you very much for welcoming Ireland. And uh, I can say that uh, it is very exciting. Um, it is my first solo exhibition ever. Okay. And uh, have it in Ireland, it is a great proud for me. And you were obviously an artist before you came here to Ireland, but you didn't have any exhibitions in Ukraine. So was it something that um, you were doing in your spare time or were you a full-time artist in Ukraine? I am a professional artist and I am an art teacher. I worked uh, in art school. Oh, okay. And taught people uh, to paint. And uh, I have uh, only... I participate uh, in some exhibition uh, in Ukraine, but it was only uh, some local thing, uh, for example, of my university or something like that. Mm-hmm. And did you bring your paintings over to Ireland with you when you came? Yes, sure. It was my... Um, it was a kind of my main task to um, bring with me as many paintings as possible. Was it difficult to get them over? Uh, not very much, you know. It only uh, took for me a big bag. <laughs> <laughs> and did you get to bring many paintings with you? Uh, yeah, yeah, quite many. But, uh, you know, I didn't, I even didn't count to them. Yeah. So I, 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 I can't, uh, I can't say some number. Okay, no bother. And you, you came to Ireland and you were telling me before that the paintings, um, they're not necessarily of Ukraine, they're actually of Ireland and you had painted them before you came here. Yeah, it's true. I like Ireland very much and I was interested in it even before I come here. It was my dream to visit Ireland. And um, um, most part of the painting on the exhibition is uh, are about uh, Ireland. So, some about Spain because uh, Spain is my another interest. Mm. Uh, but uh, only one uh, painting there about Ukraine. And I think it uh, it was sold out. <laughs> it was sold out, was it already? <laughs> uh, it was painting about uh, Lviv city. Okay. And another one is uh, Irish landscapes. And what is it about the Irish landscapes that you love so much? Um, you know, I just... I am in love with nature. And uh, especially I like very much that kind of Irish nature. Mm. Uh, so my main uh, subject is uh, landscapes. And uh, I was, I liked them uh, even before I uh, see them with my own eyes. So that's why I, I, I am painting um, 
to them. <laughs> so when you were painting Irish landscapes when you were living in Ukraine, were you just going off um, different photographs or, you know, different pictures that you had seen of Ireland? No, I use uh, my friend's uh, photographs uh, because I... Uh, uh, she travel she travel a lot around Thailand and mm-hmm. I asked uh, her just to uh, photo for me uh, different places from a different point of view if uh, it was possible for her and uh, she she just give me uh, the rights on that uh, photograph so okay you, you know just uh, so, so I have no uh, problem with rights or something like that, but uh, I, u- I use her photo. So now that you're here in Ireland, are the landscapes as beautiful as you imagined them to be? <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> Even more beautiful. <laughs> because it's, I, I, uh, I'm really happy to see them um, myself with my own eyes and to paint uh, even in place. I use, I use my photo, my own photo now, but uh, not only photo, and uh, now I have an opportunity to um, paint uh, them just when I'm there, yeah. just in open air, and uh, show, show that they're beautiful, and <laughs> I, I just uh, have... No word to describe. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. You uh, you said that it was always your dream to come to Ireland, but maybe not under the circumstances that you have found yourself here. Is that yeah, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, would you hope to return to Ukraine? I hmm, I hope that they want to return uh, to see my parents that uh, are still in Ukraine. Hmm. Uh, and my sister, uh, I'm. I want to uh, check uh, the situation uh, to return when uh, the war will end. Mm. But uh, now I uh, don't want to return um, immediately. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah, I. I like uh, to be here too much. On <laughs> <laughs> your exhibition. Maybe it's like a sh- shame on me, you know. <laughs> Not I, at I, all. I, I uh, no, I'm glad, I'm glad that you're enjoying your time in Ireland. And if people want to see your artwork, when is the exhibition opened and where is it happening? Uh, my exhibition now is in... Uh, uh, Lord Mayor of Pavilion in Tejara Park, yeah. and it uh, will end uh, on uh, 30 July. Okay. And now people can visit uh, it um, from Wednesday to Saturday every day. Okay, from Wednesday and to Saturday. Okay. From Wednesday, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you. That was Tatiana Milchina, came over from Ukraine, brought her paintings with her. And I thought it was fascinating the fact that she had never been to Ireland and yet her paintings were all of Irish landscapes. And I had asked her before the interview, um, you know, I was talking to her about her exhibition and about her artwork. And I asked her, would people who go to the exhibition be able to maybe learn something about Ukraine from her art? And she said, no, because it's all off Ireland. And uh, I just, I, uh, you know, I suppose it's weird, isn't it, the way that life 
works out and obviously she would have loved to have come to Ireland under different circumstances but it's great that she's settled here and that she now has the chance to show her artwork and if people are around they might pop in to the Lord Mayor's um, uh, building in Fitzgerald's Park and have a look at that. That was Tatiana Milchna. Now coming up after the next ad break I'll be speaking to, we're kind of t- keeping with the theme of food, we were speaking about um, an art exhibition based on food but this time it's um, a garden that's based uh, down in beautiful Glengariff in West Cork and the owners of this garden are doing tours um, uh, tours and tasting um, and it sounds lovely and it's uh, the two green shoots now we're always looking for something to do over the summer, particularly those of us who have children and um, even if you have uh, a couple of hours to yourself and you want to do something really nice um, and if you're travelling down towards West Cork, well maybe then you could pop into the Two Green Shoots Garden of Reimagination in Glengariff. They do what's called um, a garden tour and tasting at the end and it all sounds lovely and joining me now from there is Chloe Wood. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning, Fiona. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for joining us. Chloe, um, I was down in West Cork the other day and I was driving through Glengariff and I was just actually looking at the um, beautiful flowers and trees everywhere down in Glengariff. It's like it's a different climate down there. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, it's it's testament to how lush um, it is down here that even after so long, of very little rain. I mean, it's been weeks since we've had decent rainfall. Because we have this, the layers of trees and greenery, it actually manages to slow down the wind and hold on to a lot of moisture. So it's still incredibly green down here. You're quite right. Yeah, because even like, because you have the Bamboo Park and you have Garnish Island and, you know, people are always commenting on the amazing flora and trees and everything. So is is that what it is? Is that, it, it was just the way that it was developed that it's now blocking the, the air and there's more moisture in the soil and that's why you have all of these luscious plants down there? In, in parts, yes. So we have, um, Glengariff gets its name from the Rugged Glen and it really is this kind of, with Sugarloaf Mountain just blocking a lot of the winds that would whip up through Bantry Bay. We're in this really sheltered little nook and it would be the sea, sea winds that can really dry land out and particularly with the heat that we've had um, earlier this week, you know, those hot winds as well really, really do um, dry. So we, we do, we have this incredible shelter belt um, of the mountains and then inside of that, this incredible old ancient oak woodland um, so it really really does help um, and I mean not only from a moisture point of view but um, the heat as well we do hold on to um, a lot more warmth and it enables us to grow uh, quite frankly an incredible amount of um, plants from all over the world um, So, and you'll see those out on Garnish Island if you've ever been out there. Mm. I haven't been yet, but it's somewhere where I definitely want to go to. And Chloe, Two Green Shoots is based down there. And um, I just discovered this on Instagram the other day. Um, and I'm definitely going to make this um, at somewhere that I have to visit as well, because it just looks absolutely amazing. You have gorgeous, gorgeous plants down there and you do a whole tour of your garden. 
Bless you. Yes, we'd be delighted to have you down. So Two Green Shoots, we create gardens, feasts and escapes that nourish people and the planet, in essence. Um, and we have a showcase, Willy Wonka inspired edible garden that we open on Saturdays every week, giving people a chance to actually step through the garden gate and come in, learn a little bit about the plants that we're growing here, because everything is edible from the topiary, the trees, all of the flowers. Um, and it really is an incredible blend of flavours that you might never have tasted before and actually for a lot of people it's a real surprise there'll be some familiar plants that you might have as an ornamental in your garden but actually have an incredible edible side Um, and a good example of that would be dahlia so we grow loads of dahlias both for their edible flowers but also for this delicious tuber under the ground that's almost like a sweet potato Um, and we roast up kind of later in the season and mm. um, for people to taste. And um, so on Saturdays, people can come in, they learn about the plants. And then we have four different tours, depending on how much time people have and how much, how hungry they are yeah. um, to come and taste the garden. And that's a breakfast, a lunch, an afternoon tea tour, um, and then a deep dive for the real geeky gardeners out there just into edible plants. Um, so yeah, you'd be so welcome. And what, like we were speaking to Ka- Takashi Mizaki earlier about um, his love for Irish sea- seaweed and how he uses it in cooking. And you use edible plants and yeah. edible roots and weeds as well. Um, so, like, are these things yes. that we'd have in our gardens, or do you grow these specifically for for this purpose? A bit of both. So we grow um, really unusual edibles um, from Sichuan peppers. We have our own peppercorns um, right through to tea. We have a whole slope of tea camellias um, and people be very familiar with camellias from their own garden, the big blousy pink flowers. Mm. But actually our Barry's black tea comes from a specific type of camellia um, and we grow two different varieties in the gardens here. Um, but right through to weeds so things that people might be ripping out of their beds um, are actually also incredible both medicinally and nutritionally um, and flavor wise so one of our most popular drinks on our breakfast menu for guests that, that actually are staying on site mm. coming glamping with us or in the B&B is actually a dandelion root latte and literally if any of you have any dandelions save them if you're if you're if you're weeding them out um get them into the kitchen wash down the roots put them on a baking tray and um, roast them just like you would coffee so if you like a light roast coffee just a little bit of cooking um about 150 degrees and if you like a deep roast coffee leave them in a bit longer until they're crispy in your coffee grinder and then into your cafetiere and it is really really delicious and that's a decaf naturally decaf coffee um so that's one example yeah (laughs) we have a lot of coffee fans (laughs) and they're always amazed there's actually a caffeinated coffee would you believe that grows wild in in ireland as well and it's sticky weed now a lot of people would know it from maybe as kids they'd run along um and and throw it on each other's backs oh yes yes Um, stuff yeah do you yeah, so that so cleavers uh, would be another name for it, and that um, has little seeds. They're like little kind of bubbles, and if you roast them exactly the same way as the dandelion, the dandelion root, and then grind those down, mm. you have a, uh, an actually caffeinated coffee. So that has caffeine um, oh. in it. So yeah, 
Oh my God. <laughs> and I was looking there um, during the hot weather. You normally serve um, afternoon tea, but you had to change it up a bit because it was too hot there at the weekend. So you served um, yes. an unusual, again, you have a lot, a lot of unusual drinks. So what did you serve for afternoon tea? <laughs> Uh, we did. I know I couldn't I couldn't give people a hot cup of tea as much as I love the teas and coffees. Well, uh, it was just too much. A so. cup of hot tea is the good the best way to cool you down. <laughs> <laughs> well indeed, you know, if you have your sensible head on, it is actually. Yeah. But you just in that moment, you know, you're just aching for something icy. Mm. Um so we did it was um we grow lots of um, black lace elder, which produces bright pink elderflower. Um, and when it's made into a cordial, pink cordial. Oh. So we did um, a sparkling um, pink elderflower cordial with, um, I've been experimenting doing loads of raw preserves using botanicals in the garden. Um, and I made a rose um, preserve, which I just dipped the top of the glasses in. So you get this amazing pop of um rose and then the pink elderflower and then i just had we love daylilies if anybody has daylilies growing in your garden yeah um they're the hemerocallus big blousy flowers usually orange and and yellow yeah um they are delicious they've got the most amazing crunch to them the yellow ones are slightly tastier a bit sweeter um and i've been adding those like like you would on a cocktail, have a little umbrella on the side of the glass. Yeah. Um, I've been using uh, the daylily flowers. Um, so yeah, great fun. Yeah, it sounds it. And look, obviously you and your partner, Adam, are horticulturists, so you know what you're doing and you wouldn't be advising people to just go out and pick any other flowers from their garden and try and cook them up. Like they have to really know what they're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what the idea of the tours really are, is to give people a bit of confidence on a few really simple basics. Mm. And they might be things that they're already growing in the garden they never realise were edible, or they might be things that are super simple to grow and that they might like to introduce. And we're big fans of super low maintenance gardens, um, but that's low maintenance by actually getting um, nature to do a lot of the work for you, rather than that it's traditionally the the approach which is basically sanitizing and sterilizing everything having astroturf paving and actually no green and Mm. as people will have noticed you know in that heat that we had it's actually those green spaces that stay really cool my sister's over in in the UK and there were schools in her county that are having to close because of the astroturf so it's the more greenery that we that can bring into our spaces Mm. um, and that also nourish biodiversity and actually nourish us by producing all sorts of coffee, amazing drinks um, and salads and everything is uh, so the way to go. Brilliant. Chloe, it's two green shoots. You're in Glengariff. People can find you online or on Instagram and just pop down. It's Saturdays only, is it, for the tours? Saturdays, yeah, we find we found it's the most popular of the day of the week. Yeah. People are usually off work, and we still have a few spaces for our tours this Saturday. So if anyone's wanting a real last minute one, um, do give us a shout. It's twogreenshoots.com. They can find all the details, and we'd be delighted to welcome you. Um, brilliant. Okay, and just um, somebody wanted to know there just about the astro tough turf getting uh, too hot. Um, a lot of people would have maybe astro turf in their in their gardens because it's low maintenance. Um, and I yeah. think that could you just talk a little bit more about that? So why does it get so hot? 
because it's plastic so it's basically made of plastic and it's um there's no so with natural um lawns you'll have a certain amount of moisture that's released that kind of cools them mm. um and because it's a natural material um so you know it's a living natural material it never gets super hot whereas plastic and you'll notice it any kind of plastic surfaces that are out um in that kind of sunshine they just get hotter and hotter and hotter um so yeah switching to I know a lot of people want to really you know minimize the amount of time that they're having to spend maintaining gardens yeah um, and actually we, we offer garden design services actually helping people create those super low maintenance spaces um but actually I suppose, by you know that black using, stuff that's under the astroturf and you get it in uh, when yeah on, in the runners and it's all over your floor then when they come in um and that yeah so that picks up the heat and that radiates it as well yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah it, it does and I mean those black surfaces again of course will absorb um a lot more heat um as well so you know lighter surfaces are um, reflect a lot more light and somebody's saying here um like I suppose if astroturf has been installed in gardens because it's low maintenance but you have to go out and water it do you well you can I know uh in a previous previous job uh, there was a there was a client who actually used to hoover his astroturf to put to put lines on it, oh, <laughs> and he would go up and down. Um, you can, of course, wet it, but do you know it's just it's madness. We're we're madly switching out our do you know um, single use plastics all yeah. over you know the catering industry, and we're minimising. We're swapping our you know single use straws for reusable ones, mm. and yet we're bringing plastic in in huge quantities. In, in these um, astroturf surfaces and actually sterilizing spaces. So once astroturf's down, life, there, it, there's nothing for pollinators, invertebrates. You basically kind of suspended um, the natural um, cycle of life within that space. Mm. Um, so we're big fans of actually getting nature to do a lot of the work for you. And that a key part of that is actually allowing nature back in by creating um, green living spaces. Yeah. Can I just finally, before I let you go, uh, just a personal thing. Uh, my sister uh, told my son and daughter that, you know, the honeysuckle that you see in the hedges on the side of the road, that you can um, yeah. suck the honey out of them and they've been trying to do that. Can you do that? <laughs> you can, absolutely. And actually, it's so funny you mentioned honeysuckle. We were out for a walk the other night and found this old boreen out on the bearer with clouds of honeysuckle yeah. and if there's a lot of a particular botanical growing wild it's it's okay to pick it yeah. um so we picked we foraged for some honeysuckle and we made i've actually just made a syrup this morning and that'll be on this saturday's uh, menu so if anyone wants to taste <laughs> um honeysuckle you can there actually you <laughs> the timing yeah, you can come down and that'll be going into um a, a drink and also a sorbet as well. Brilliant. It sounds fantastic. Chloe, thank you so much for your time this morning. That's two green shoots down in Langarf and Chloe Wood joined me there today. Thank you to all our contributors today and to everyone who got in touch with us. I'll be back tomorrow, last day of the week. And thanks, of course, to Fergal Barry, Richard Vickery and Wayne Hilton for putting together the show here today. And uh, we will be back tomorrow. If you missed anything and you'd like to catch up on anything, there will be podcasts 
on our website 96fm.ie. Enjoy the rest of your day.